is an Odyssey original. This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Arch. And I'm Charles Feldman. The tragedy of the Titan submersible has gripped not just the U.S., but the entire world. Five people on board killed in what appears to be an implosion. We'll go in-depth with the man who rode on the Titan just a couple of years ago and also knew two of those on board. What if a, a doctor told you that you were going to die and there was nothing anyone could do about it? And then what if you found out later they were wrong? One man from L.A. went through that, and he's going to tell us about it. We start, though, with the Titan tragedy. Bill Price is a retired travel business expert, and he rode on the Titan on its maiden voyage. That was back in 2021 down to the Titanic wreckage. Bill Price, thanks for stopping by and being with us. Uh, it's good to be here. Tell me, uh, let's start at the beginning, really. Uh, what was the fascination for you? to go and see the Titanic, and how did you choose, and maybe that was the only way to do it, the uh, this particular company that owned the Titan and the Titan Submersible? Yes. Um, I um, am a member of the Los Angeles Adventurers Club, and through uh, a variety of connections and uh, contacts, I was made aware of the uh, program that Stockton was putting together. This was... Uh, in the early days, um, they were about to launch their f- first uh, season, um, which was already in place. In terms of what motivated me, I think I've been a history buff all my life. I've also been a, somewhat of an adventurer. I love to travel and uh, learn and explore about new places. And in terms of history, I think Titanic is certainly one of the most historical events uh, and tragedies that uh, uh, that we've seen. So uh, it, it kind of was very compelling for me to be able to actually go down and witness this. Um, fortunately, since I was retired and I had the opportunity, I uh, thought I would investigate and took advantage of it. Um, I kind of got in a little bit under the wire because uh, – they were just finalizing all of the arrangements. Um, so it was uh, in the spring of 2021 that I went ahead and signed up and then uh, went uh, in July of 2021 uh, uh, down to the Titanic. Now, you knew two of the people who were on board. When you first heard the news that uh, they had lost contact and the sub was missing, uh, your first reaction, was it one to hold out hope or did you fear the worst early on? I think that uh, uh, the first reaction was definitely to hold out hope for a variety of reasons. Um, one of the reasons is that uh, during my 10-day uh, uh, excursion, I had the opportunity to dive uh twice uh, with uh, Stockton PH. Um, And as a result, the first dive that we attempted, a little over an hour into it, we lost uh, radio contact. Uh, Actually, actually it's not radio contact, but communication. It's kind of a sonar-type setup. But we lost communication with the uh, the, uh, support ship, and that was a, a concern. 
Um, but at the same time, everyone was he- healthy and and uh, we had enough air, so everything was fine. Uh, then it was determined that um, <clears throat> one of the propulsion systems, an electrical system, on the one side was not operating. And uh, so the de- decision was made to scrub at that point. And uh, in the process of uh, scrubbing, we... Uh, we needed to release the weights that were holding uh, us down, so to speak, and um, the mechanism that released the weights was not operating due to some of the electrical problems. Um, so because of that, uh, you know, we were kind of in limbo, floating there and stuck in, in, in the middle. Um, were you under the water at this point we or just were. floating? We, we were, were about uh, a little over half of the way down to the Titanic, so I would say a little over a mile uh, down from the surface. And at that point, I think that um, the focus was not on panic or concern necessarily. It was on, okay, these are our issues. What do we need to do to solve it? Uh, I believe that uh, uh, Stockton had... Had encountered some of these issues before, and uh, one of the thoughts he had was to uh, go ahead and try to dislodge the weights by rocking the submersible. So we proceeded to uh, all five of us, you know, go to one one side to the other in a swaying type motion, and then uh, eventually, after a, a few attempts, uh, we heard a, a clunk. And the the first weight was dislodged, mm-hmm. so we continued to do that until uh, a few of the weights were dislodged, and then we began our slow ascent back. Um, but at, at at that point, did you think, well, maybe this isn't a, a good idea, and maybe maybe we shouldn't attempt it again? In hindsight, um, possibly, um, but at the same time. I think that, uh, you know, the, uh, people, if everything goes fine, you know, uh, you know, people are capable of doing, performing well. I think uh, one of the true tests is that when there's difficulties in that, that if people have uh, options, ways to solve them and that. And I think for me that was reassuring. I think that was the thing that uh, allowed me to have confidence in going the next day. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, Bill, uh, if you will stay in studio with us, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. And we do thank you for taking some time out today. I I know that the feelings are still raw. They have to be. Uh, We're going to talk more about that as we return for more with Bill Price on KNX In-Depth. Right now, though, we are back talking with Bill Price, who rode on the Titan Submersible back in 2021 on its maiden voyage. Bill, uh, where we left off before the break, uh, you went on the what was to have been the excursion down to the Titanic, but you were saying that there were some uh, communication issues, some mechanical issues. You had to come back to the surface, right? And then Correct. you went down the next day, and that was a successful trip, right? You got to see the Titanic. You got to the where you wanted to be. Yes, as it turned out, uh, uh, the vehicle on the descent is subject to the uh, uh, the conditions on the, on the uh, in the water. So you have various uh, 
things that uh, at play there in terms of the, the thermals and the currents and, and um, uh, conditions. So as a result, uh, we are in contact with the mothership, and they are relaying to us data on our particular location using sonar. And uh, we're able to maneuver slightly to ha have the, uh, the sub sink in close proximity. And with the uh, uh, conditions being right that day, we were able to descend within striking distance of the, the wreck. It still took us a little while to, to uh, uh, motor over to it, but, um, but we were able to see it. So we were the, the first ones in that particular type of vehicle uh, to, uh, to see the, the bow section, particularly of the uh, Titanic, which was very impressive. When you're down that deep um, and you've got an electrical problem and let's say the lights go out, it's it's very dark, probably darker than I think people can imagine. Uh, what's it like uh, when you're, like, say, halfway down and, and you were to begin having problems with it and your lights go out? How how dark is it? It's it's very dark. There's a, a, ver there's a small um, background light inside the, the uh, sub, but there is really no... Uh, lights. In fact, we turn those lights out even uh, during the descent to conserve the um, battery. Uh, once you get down, you know, 50, 100 feet, uh, it becomes dark. And um, so you really don't see much. Uh, fortunately, they, they, you know, they tell you all this in advance and they screen you if you're claustrophobic or if you you know, have challenges being confined over a period of time. And uh, so luckily I don't have those conditions. And I, I, so I was fortunate to answer your question. It, it really didn't bother me. Um, you know, I was still focused on the excitement and anticipation of being able to, to actually see the Titanic. Let me, let me ask you uh, uh, a, a tough question, or maybe it's not a tough question, but maybe it's a tough answer to, to, to give. Uh, we mentioned up top that um, you now have, uh, for lack of a better phrase, survivor's guilt, is I think what we said. And I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what we were told. Um, if that's the case, why? And um, can you tell us a little bit about what's going through your mind now, uh, about 24 hours after learning of what happened to this vessel, to the Titan. Yes. The term uh, survivor's guilt is maybe not exactly appropriate, but, but my heart is broken. Um, I feel a deep sense of sadness. I did not know the three individuals that were the mission specialists on board this uh, dive, um, but I was very familiar with um, both uh, Stockton Rush and P.H. Nargalay. You know, I spent 10 days with them and in um, two days inside the sub for 10 hours. So I got to know them fairly well, and we became pretty good friends. We stayed in touch after the dive. Um, and I also had an opportunity to, to meet uh, Stockton's uh, wife, Wendy, who's the 
who was the communication director on board in, in, in the so that that's where my heart goes out to the family of all five uh and then also specifically to the to the family of the two individuals that I you know had acquaintance and uh and knew very well uh some of the backlash is uh now beginning uh the company ocean gate is is beginning to get close scrutiny uh, there are claims that people raise concerns about this submersible and about the construction of it, that it was maybe not up to par, and uh, we're told that uh, Stockton Rush kind of dismissed those concerns. When you hear those stories, what's your response? Since you you knew him and worked with him, are those concerns were those concerns valid? I, I think we can say they were in hindsight, but beforehand, were they valid, or did you also dismiss them? Did you think people were making too much out of it? Um, I believe that the, certainly, like you say, in hindsight, the, the, anytime you have a concern, uh, it, it's valid. I think that, um, one of the issues of, that I felt w- that gave me such, um, uh, confident in Stockton, particularly, uh, you know, he has a, a degree in aerospace, uh, engineering and so forth. So he's got all of the technical knowledge behind him. Uh, and he used that, his connections with uh, Boeing, you know, they developed the 787 with a uh, carbon fiber fuselage and so forth. So he, he had a lot of technical knowledge and background, but he was also very above board on everything. So he would look you right in the eye and, and say, you know, this is not certified. There is he said there's no classification for it at this point, so we can't get it certified. And he was upfront about that. So he wasn't trying to misrepresent, and that's the primary reason that I wanted to, to, to come down when I was asked because I wanted to set the record straight, at least from my perspective. To answer your question, uh, yeah, he made it very clear. And, uh, you know, uh, I had to weigh all of those things, the way, you know, his input and insight. And um, then I made the decision. In in these you know, sort of re- retrospective questions, in, in some ways are silly, but, but I do need to ask, in retrospect, um, with what has now occurred, do you think that you were perhaps foolish risking your own life to do what you did to go on that trip to see the wreckage of the Titanic? I would say yes to an extent. I'm not sure if foolish is the right word. Uh, Maybe I was short-sighted. Maybe I was a little impulsive. Um, You know, those things, uh, you know, my nature is uh, that way. But, um, yeah, certainly uh, I maybe didn't do as much background research, but I, I, was, um, I did enough to satisfy my concerns. Um, so, you know, at, at the time I made the decision and I committed to it. Um, and as it turned out, I, it worked out okay for me. Um, you know, like I said, the, it, the people that attempt to go to Mount Everest, uh, they take on that 
responsibility of knowing everyone doesn't make it. There's a lot of issues and concerns. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they have to make that decision to go or not. Is it worth it uh, to, to go? Um, in my case at that time, like I say, the, the attraction of being able to go down and actually see the Titanic, which was very moving um, experience. You know, when we went down, we had a, a moment of silence for uh, all the people that lost their lives in the tragedy of the Titanic. Um, afterwards, I took it upon myself to visit the uh, grave sites in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. I went over to Halifax to a cemetery there where a lot of the um, people who died uh, were taken. The bodies were recovered and taken over to Halifax. And uh, so I did that to pay my respects because I didn't want to just go down, you know, to, uh, to, to see it for my own experience, but I wanted to uh, uh, re respect the people. So I did that while we were down there as well as afterwards. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because there are some people who have taken uh, the the attack on this as they comment on it from the safety of their own homes or behind their computer keyboards. And maybe they have a valid point. I don't know. But they say that uh, it's a reminder that the Titanic uh, wreck site is a grave, not a rich person's playground. So as you talk about uh, showing respect and paying a moment of respect, is that on your mind when you hear people say that about this? It's it's a sad situation when, you know, people have these comments and memes. Um, you know, some of it is founded. Um, right now, there are no direct survivors of the Titanic. So a lot of people say in respect for the families. But, you know, there's second, third generation families. But direct families, that's not the case. And uh, if we were to interact with the site in any way, I think that would be disrespectful. I think, um, you know, that's not the case. It's basically a, an observation to be able to see firsthand and witness it. Um, and that's what we did. So we didn't disturb anything. Um, and uh, I, I think that, uh, it, you know, if you go to the 9-11 site and view it, um, you're paying homage and respect uh, so, you know, in that respect, that that's how we felt. At some point, I'm sure there will be other excursions down in other vessels to the Titanic because the the uh, uh, desire that many people have to see it with their own eyes, the Titanic wreckage, is clearly a, a powerful one for many people. So I am interested in knowing what advice, if you have any advice, Mm -hmm. you might give to others in the future who might have that twitch to go on the next voyage down to whether it's to see the Titanic or perhaps to you know, climb into a spaceship and, and go around the earth or maybe go farther than around the earth. Um, does your experience, having been on this trip before and having now experienced uh, what has happened, this tragedy now, 
give you any insights and advice that you could share with others? At this point, I don't see any opportunities available for people who are not scientists, uh, direct scientists in research, uh, to visit the Titanic. Um, you know, I think it's um, uh, it's apparent that this particular type of vehicle uh, did not, you know, suffered a catastrophe, and um, the the design of this vehicle was uh, such that it allowed for five people. Uh, prior to that, the majority of the, the designs uh, were for one or two people, and it's a, a spherical design, uh, which can withstand more pressure, you know, historically. So the fact that Stockton was able to put together a kind of a, a tubular uh, hull using carbon fiber, uh, it was um, somewhat experimental. Uh, it hasn't been done before. Uh, whether somebody will take it upon themselves to do do it better, and um, and and allow for a larger capacity, um, it's possible. But I don't see that happening in the near future. Uh, our guest in the studio today, Bill Price, uh, uh, he rode on the Titan submersible back in 2021 on its maiden voyage. Has he experienced it having trouble on the way down, experienced a successful dive. Uh, Mr. Price, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, I know that uh, you feeling so close to this tragedy, uh, your feelings have to be raw. We do appreciate you, despite all that, uh, wanting to come on the show and talk about it with us. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, thank you, guys. And uh, thank you for bringing up those uh, issues because they're, they're real, they're out there, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to at least dispel some of the negativity. Some of it is warranted, I agree, but, you know, the the other stuff um, I think is uh, is not accurate, and I just wanted to set the record state. Bill Price, thank you very much. You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Imagine uh, you go to the doctor. Uh, the doctor tells you you have cancer. It spread, and you only have two years to live. That's very frightening. Now, imagine looking for help from doctors, and they tell you, nope, it's pointless to even try. That's even more heartbreaking. And that is what Milton Liu was dealing with just a few years ago before he ended up going to City of Hope, where doctors made a shocking discovery. Milton is here with us now. Also with us is Dr. Andreas Kaiser, Professor-in-Chief of the Division of Colorectal Surgery at City of Hope. Gentlemen, thank you both for being with us. Thank, thank you for having us. Let's start uh, with you, uh, Milton. So so briefly tell us uh, about your initial diagnosis and and what obviously was going through your mind at the time and what you then ended up doing. Yeah, so Charles, um, I had a history of cancer in my family. Uh, brother got diagnosed, father passed away from it, uncle passed away from it. Um, and so for the past, you know, decade, I was looking to have a colonoscopy. Um, but with our healthcare system, you know, no one tells us anything about this. Uh, my general practitioner is like, oh, you're too young. We'll give you blood tests and things like that. But uh, your insurance won't pay for a colonoscopy. I'm like, okay, you know, that's, uh, you listen to your doctor. And so. And how old were you at the time? Uh, I was in my early 30s. Okay, go ahead. 
Uh, and so, um, and, and they, they did that too with my brother because when he was diagnosed, it, they just found it through a routine physical. Um, and so I, I knew it was in my family. I wanted to get checked, but uh, yeah, it, they just wouldn't do it because I think at that time you had to be at least 50 years old um, to have that done. So um, yeah, so, but every year I would take these blood tests and call the doctor and he said, you're fine. Everything's okay. But then you had the colonoscopy eventually? Yeah, so at the end of 2019, uh, finally my general practitioner was like, okay, um, yeah, you can get a colonoscopy now. So I did that in uh, October 2019. And and what did they find on this? And, and was it an issue of, had you done it earlier, things might have turned out better? Yeah, so um, I went and got the results. Um, and they said, uh, oh, okay, you know, good thing you got checked. Uh, we found stage one colon cancer. Um, pretty easily uh, remedied because we caught it early. Um, but we're going to need you to take some MRIs and CT scans of your torso uh, just to make sure. And that's when um, afterwards, about a week later, I got the results of my scans. And they said, oh, there's an issue here. Uh, it seems to be that uh, your colon cancer metastasized to your liver. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they said, um, you're inoperable. Sorry that you're terminal. And realistically, with being on chemo, realistically, you'd have two years left to live. And you reacted how? <laughs> I was pretty angry because, um, again, this is what I wanted to do for the past decade is to get checked. And, you know, um, but of course, you know, okay, it's happened. I can't go back in time. So... If, you, if the only thing that we can do and is put me on chemo, like, let me go get a second opinion, a third opinion, and those same opinions turn out to be the same diagnosis, there's nothing that they could do. All right. Well, uh, Milton, you're obviously alive uh, now. We're going to get to that part of the story. But uh, before we go to a break, I want to bring the doctor in uh, to the conversation, Dr. Andreas uh, Kaiser, uh, chief of uh, professor in chief of the Division of Colorectal Surgery at City of Hope. Uh, doctor, you hear stories like this uh, often, don't you? Uh, someone gets a colonoscopy, they find some bad news, and, and it would have been better had it gotten checked earlier. Is this why the uh, procedures and, and recommendations for when to get a colonoscopy have been changed? They have been changed uh, mostly because we have seen increasingly that there are a large number of younger patients that would otherwise have fallen through the cracks. So Milton, uh, Milton, allow me to say that you're 50 years now, but um, at the time of his diagnosis, he was below that original threshold of 50. And uh, we see younger and younger patients, sometimes in their 30s, sometimes in their 20s. And so we really... Just the screening for general age has gone to 45, but if you have additional risk factors like family history or if you have symptoms, then you should actually have a colonoscopy earlier, much earlier. All right. So so let's now, for our listeners, uh, try to connect some of these dots. So, Milton, you get this terminal diagnosis. You go and get several other opinions. They all agree that you're you're pretty much done. They're writing you off, right? How do you end up uh, with this particular doctor, and how did you end up with a totally different, what turned out to be, fortunately for you, a accurate diagnosis that you were fine? 
Um, well, I wouldn't say fine. I, I think it was more of um. But you weren't dying, right? Okay. Well, I mean, there was still, you know, the case of finding uh, masses in my liver. Okay. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, just through friends and family, um, they said, "Have you checked out City of Hope?" And you know, at the time, I was a little bit hesitant because do I want a fourth opinion that's it's going to tell me the same thing? Um, but they really pushed me and said, "Oh, you need to see Doctor Fong." Um, and I remember the date specifically because it was the day before Thanksgiving. And they're like, bring your scans to City of Hope. I'm like, is he even going to be there? Um, yes, he was. And, you know, he made the, appoint- made the appointment the week after Thanksgiving. Um, but for the first time in my life, he took, there was a healthcare provider that took the time to answer any questions, showed me what was going on on my scans, drew pictures of what was happening. Um, and what they ultimately did was, you know, Dr. Fong teamed up with Dr. Kaiser um, and said, okay, you know, there's no guarantee, but we can do this procedure, um, which given any other option or my prior options, of course, I wanted to go for it. Doctor, let me ask you a, a question here. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't go, perhaps, to get a second, third. How many opinions did you end up getting, Milton? Uh, including City of Hope for. Four. A lot of people wouldn't. They would give up maybe after the second or, or or third. Is there a lesson that people should take from Milton's experience? Well, I think you, you need to obviously be your own defense in some ways. If you go the first time to the right place, you may not need other opinions. But if you question whether the opinion that you obtained is really what is the best for your health, then you should get that. And at City of Hope, we are obviously a cancer center. We are the experts for the best treatment of cancers. And we have the expertise to really look at at every single patient as an individual and see what is actually best for them. Okay, Milton, uh, before we get to the uh, third act of the story where everything turns out okay, let's get to the second act. Uh, You're told uh, there's nothing they can do. You've got two years at best. Uh, Aside from getting angry, what did you do? Did you do do your bucket list? Uh, Did you take trips? Uh, What did you do uh, thinking you only had two years to go? Yeah, Rob, um, obviously, like, I spent about maybe a day or two just, you know, really being down and depressed. Um, but I really, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, having a positive mental, you know, health is really important to, you know, the key to, to treatment. And, uh, you know, I looked at the small wins, right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be comical or facetious about it, but I'm like, Oh, you know, having this is better than getting T-bone on my motorcycle. Right. Having this is like I'd be able to, you know, clear my browser history, you know, like just having these little, you know, dark moments of levity uh, was really what I just needed to do because, you know, I can't turn back time. And, um, you know, just really being able to say, okay, what's important in my life, family, friends, um, and, and just figure out, okay, how can I enjoy that to the best of my ability? Dr. Kaiser, how do these things happen? Um, and I know that every case is an individual case, but how does a patient get multiple doctors uh, who are all presumably, you know, experts and, and qualified in their field to, in effect, give up on, on the patient? And then another doctor or two look at the same data and come to a very different conclusion that there is hope. 
Well, I think it starts with the overall approach that an institution has. And again, at, at our institution at City of Hope, we have a very aggressive posture in the sense that we, first of all, don't take anything for granted. We check every individual's history and, and all the source documents and figure out, does everything fit? And then even if somebody has um, presumed stage four disease, we don't just say, well, we write you off and that's it. But we see, is there even in that situation a chance to go after it? And very often we don't start with surgery, but start with chemotherapy. And then um, when when we see that the tumor has overall uh, been stable, then we go after it, even if it's metastatic disease. And again, we do probably one of the largest numbers of um, procedure where we combine a colon surgery and a, even a comprehensive colon surgery with a liver surgery, whereas many other institutions split them up. Um, they do one surgery and then maybe wait and then do the second surgery. We, we just fit everything into one um, sort of single surgery and can that way analyze what is really the situation. Okay, but, but that in a way begs the question, doctor, why why don't other doctors, why don't all doctors do that? One would think that all the things you just ticked off, all the things you just mentioned, would be a given for any physician treating any patient with a life-threatening disease. So, so why is it apparently an anomaly for some doctors to do that and, and what you take for granted, uh, things that you need to do, other doctors apparently don't? Well, I think we really look at our outcomes and our outcomes are very good. We can't 100% promise that that we cure some patient or every patient, but we overall have a very large number of patients who have stage four disease that are written off in other institutions and we take them to surgery and we can either cure them or we can prolong their life cancer free or, or at least with cancer controlled and give them a second chance. And that's that's where others just stop. Where others stop, we start running. All right, uh, Milton, let's uh, let's close out with the third act of this uh, movie here, the, the good part, the happy ending. Uh, I asked you before, uh, what did you do when you were told that you only had two years to go? There was nothing anybody could do. You might as well uh, close up shop and close out your business accounts or what have you. But then uh, you you go see City of Hope, things turn around. Uh, how did you feel the moment you realized that I'm not going to die real soon, at least not from this? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't, I've never won the lottery, but I was... I imagine that's the thing. Did you go out and play the lottery oh, <laughs> after that? Like, my luck is good right now. <laughs> of course. And, you know, it, 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 at that time, too, my surgery was February of 2020. And if you all remember, March was the lockdown. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have a chance to uh, kind of, you know, uh, go out and, you know, do bucket list things and celebrate, but it was more of like, okay, let me find the small wins for this, right? Um, I, I the surgery was great. Dr. Kaiser, Dr. Fong were great. Um, City of Hope was fantastic, but then I still had to do three rounds of chemo, and my small win was like, well, if I'm going to have to do chemo, might as well be when the world's on lockdown. So <laughs> you don't miss out on any fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm not missing out on anything. <laughs> Let me ask you the same question uh, as we, we finish up the show that I, I asked the doctor. 
Do you think there are lessons for others to learn from your experience and what would they be? Yeah. And it's, it's just self-advocacy, you know, like again, no one tells us what to do when you get cancer. Um, you know, I've luckily enough friends and family and support network and people that have been through this. Um, but if there's just something you're feeling a little off, you're feeling a little wrong, um, go get checked up, push your general practitioner that you want to get checked just to make sure, because obviously, um, you know, if you find certain cancers early, it's curable and, and, and not to just kind of put it on your lower end of your priority list. Um, but yeah, self-advocacy. All right. Uh, Milton Liu, who was told he was going to die in two years, only to find out he was not. And also Dr. Andreas Kaiser from City of Hope helped treat uh, Milton, found his cancer had not spread after all. And so we had a happy ending. I want to thank our guests for being in the studio with us today. That's going to do it, Charles, for uh, KNX In-Depth for this Friday. Uh, guess what? We're going to do this again on Monday.